Aloha folks and welcome back to Degree Free where we teach you how to get the work that you want without a college degree. Now, before we get into today's guest, if you guys did want to stay up to date with everything Degree Free, the best thing that you could do is go to degreefree.co slash newsletter. Every week we send out a newsletter with Degree Free news, tips and tricks to get you hired and ways to learn new skills and get the work that you want. Today on the podcast, our guest is Robin Altucher. I am super excited for this episode, and I think that you guys are going to get a lot of value out of this. Robin is an entrepreneur, investor, mother, and I think what you guys will see in this episode is that she is an expert on everything soft skills, from body language to convincing people to getting people to like you. It's instantaneous, and you can see it right in the beginning of the show. Definitely give this episode a listen and hear how Robin Altucher went from an employee going from cosmetology school all the way to operating as an entrepreneur that has 70 plus employees under her. This show is packed with actionable advice and we actually go into an area that we don't go too much into normally, which is parenting and how to teach kids to be degree free and and to be free thinkers and to... Uh, nurture them. Anyway, without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation that I had with Robin Altucher. Um, so today I have Robin Altucher here with us, and I am very excited. Thank you so much for making the time, Robin. Oh, well, thanks for having me. One of the great things about having you here is, we were kind of talking about this before we started recording the podcast, is with Degree Free, we try to help people realize their dreams and you know, actualize what they want to do without a degree. And it's great to have people on that have done it before. And so I guess quickly, if you wouldn't mind kind of talking about your background, I know that in your twenties, you had a business. I think you were in the, in the hair salon business. Yes. Yes, I was. If you wouldn't mind kind of just talking about, um, what you did, uh, for your business. Sure. Um, well, I've always loved doing hair. And um, when I was in high school, um, I just knew I didn't want to go on to college. And I wanted to just do my own thing, you know. So I did. And I went off to cosmetology school. uh, And I just started working. But I I enjoyed it. It's something I really loved doing. And uh, from there, I worked for people. Uh, I trained with special people uh, that... I mean, that's super important to apprentice or do something, you know, if you want to go to the top or if you want to be the best at something, you want to, you know, you go to school and then you apprentice for a while with somebody. And that's what I did. So I worked with Tony and Guy um, when they first moved to the States. They're from England. And they opened up their first salon in Dallas. And um, it was a very small boutique salon and very expensive. I mean, back in the 80s, late 80s, they were charging $100 for a haircut. And, uh, but I remember sitting there in the meetings, them telling me that they're going to just, you know, set, you know, the U.S. on fire with all their products. So now their products are TG, you know, those are their products. And now they're all over, you know, Tony and Guy. So, but they were the very best of the best. And I, I worked there for a little over a year and it was hard. I'd cry (laughs) a lot because it was just hard work. And, um, but I... From there, I met other people in the industry, 
And so I always had these people uh, that believed in me and helped me, and it was really important to have that support. And from there, I uh, started working for myself within a salon, you know, building up my own clientele uh, and renting a chair. And then from the, that, I uh, eventually opened up my own salon, and we had 70 employees and, you know, 4,000 square foot place. And it was one of the first of its kind in Austin, you know, back in uh, the late 90s. And um, I had partners, of course. So that's how it started. I mean, it was a very organic way of doing it. Um, but I did actually reach out to my, you know, you know, the people that I respected and, and helped me through the years to help me with, you know, having my own brand, having my own shampoo and my own products. So, yeah, it was an organic thing. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to have the biggest salon in Austin. That's not how it happened with me. It was a very organic thing, and, and it just worked because I enjoyed what I was doing. You said that you, after cosmetology school, you went with Tony and Guy. Mm -hmm. How did you end up getting that original job? Okay, so I was in the Hair Olympics. <laughs> there really is a Hair Olympics. And I competed. There's a Hair Olympics? <laughs> yeah. And I competed. What does that look like? What, like, um, what, are, the, what, like, what are the events and how, how, does, how is that judged? So you are judged. Uh, there's competitions within your school. Well, I was still a student. And from there, I won the student competition within our school. And I then uh, did a regional competition uh, in Arizona. And then from there, I represented Arizona in the National Olympic competition in Washington, D.C. And so that's called the Hair Olympics. And so you have all uh. the best of the best of the students competing uh, for certain things and they 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 time you you know they, they look at you know the quality and the time of doing a certain style everyone has to do the same thing so I was really I don't know how I got into that but they just saw that I had some talent my my teachers and so then they wanted to do that and I was like okay that's great well then while I was there in Washington DC at the finals I was approached by a famous a hairstylist named Scott Cole. And Scott Cole used to work for Vidal Sassoon. So he he's one of the big, you know, he's, he's sort of a celebrity in the hair business. So he approached me and said, look, would you like to be my assistant? And I said, sure, I would love that. So I worked with him for a while doing stage work. You know, he would do the cutting. And, I mean, we would be in front of thousands of people. So I would help him and assist him doing the drying and stuff. And you know, humiliate me in front of people if I didn't do things right. Uh, it was very abusive, me going through all this, <laughs> but it was worth it. <laughs> I learned. I learned not to do that again, whatever he told me not to do. But um, so he was the one, and I'm still, you know, friends with, with Scott, and he has helped me along the way uh, in my journey through through this, you know, through the hair business and, and through life. And um, he knows everybody because everyone knows him. So anytime Scott Cole calls somebody, it doesn't matter what salon, if it's the very best salon in the world, they'll, they're going to know who he is. So he's always been there for me, and he's always done that. Uh, so he got me the job at Tony and Guy, and uh, that's how it all started. That's amazing. <laughs> so it's, like, it's really kind of who you know. <laughs> I mean, I know it's kind of a cliche, but... It kind of does. I mean, I'm sure there are a lot of 
much more talented people out there than I am, but you know, they didn't know Scott. So I don't know, you know, it's just, I was at the right place at the right time, but you have to be out there and you have to not fear. Like a lot of people were telling me, oh, that's crazy. Why are you doing the competition? I'm like, I don't know, because it's fun. I mean, I'm not afraid. I can do this. But there were a lot of people saying, I would never do that. But it gave me the opportunity to, to be seen and, and, and to be approached. And that's how it started. Yeah, and I think you hit on a, like a lot of important points there. The who you know, you're absolutely right. It is a cliche. I mean, they say, like, build your network, build your network. But it's a cliche for a reason it, because it works. Yeah. I, I think they're depending on depending on which surveys you look at, like forty to eighty percent of the job market mm-hmm. is filled informally. Sure, and yeah. so that's like not yeah not through a traditional job mm-hmm. listing. It's like hey, exactly what happened to you? Like right. I have a I have a rock star here. Mm-hmm. Um, she's looking for a place she, to land. Right. Um, he, here you go. Yeah, and then. That's how majority of the jobs are filled. Right. I mean, I, I didn't realize that, you know, really when I was younger. But, man, I know that now. I mean, and I tell that to my kids. You know, it's not just your 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 skill, but you definitely have to have a very high emotional, you know, EQ, you know, or a people person. And you, they need to like you because there's a bunch of other people that are going to be just as, you know, skilled as you. So you got to stand out. What else you said there was that you have to be out there at the same time. Mm -hmm. So not only do you have to know people, but you also have to be known for something. Yeah. It's not enough to just know somebody like you can know, you can know Scott Cole, but if you're not doing hair, then why is he going to introduce you to Tony and guy? You know, if you're not a rock star already, if you're not already in this niche that's right you're not going to be introduced right yeah and he wouldn't have done it if i was not good i mean honestly you know i had to have the skill to back up what he was you know uh pitching (laughs) so uh you have to you do have to work hard and you do have to have that grit to continue on like i said i cried all the time because it was really hard but i stuck with it and he knew i would so you know, and that's why I'm always, I've always been able to go back to my, uh, you know, the people that have trained me or the people that I've worked for. I've never burned bridges like, you know, I, that's so important. And I always tell that to my kids. You just never know. But it doesn't, there's no reason to burn a bridge because, I mean, life is short, you know. So <laughs> just be nice about it and be very upfront. And people really appreciate that. So these are sort of the little things that you can do that, you know, that stand out that may uh, trump some, you know, college degree kid that doesn't have these qualities. Yeah, definitely. And it could just be this uh, plethora of experience that you have, Mm -hmm. you know, with life just kind of, you know, kicking you when you're down, like you said, just, I mean, crying. Right. And, um, you know, you have to get back up and, and do it again. Sure. You said something there about never burning bridges. And mm-hmm. I, it's something in my life that I am just, just learning. I, in my 20s, mm-hmm. I was a very uh, headstrong individual. <laughs> and so I would, 
at the end of a usable life, quote unquote, of a relationship, I would say I would say some nasty things or I would burn bridges mm -hmm. because I always like to have the last word. Mm -hmm. Like, how how did you not burn bridges? I mean, well, okay, so burning bridges is one thing, but okay, so let's just define it. So what I'm talking about is you doing something wrong that you know uh, it's your fault or you created it and you left or whatever. Now, if somebody, if you say, and you're honest, I want to leave, and I do want to open up my own place, and you're very upfront and honest with them, but if they are mean or they say something terrible, I mean, that's not me burning the bridge. That's, that's them doing something that's not nice. And so uh, I was always very... I was just upfront about it. I would just tell people what I want, and I was afraid because I knew they'd be angry. But I just feel like that's the best way to do it. You know, it was hard. Yeah, because <laughs> I knew they would <laughs> yell at me. Right. But at the end, they knew that they did something to me, and so eventually they came around and apologized or something. You know, so. It's always being receptive. Right. Like uh, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to boil it down. I guess, like, just always. Yeah, just being, just being, uh, being a good person, and 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 just, you know, you want to be fair, and and so you give people notice. You do the things that you need to do that you think are right, and then if that person doesn't appreciate it, what you've done, or or, or is angry, that's not your. You're not burning the bridge. They're burning the bridge with you basically going back to the your career it you gave a really nice and neat succinct you know background overview and you said it was very organic and very natural that you went from you know tony working for scott cole and then tony and guy and then opening up your own mm -hmm. place and you know that progression <laughs> but that's not easy like that's like <laughs> it took uh, years one of the thing yeah and uh, one of the things is like that we one of the biggest pushbacks that we get about when we say you don't have to go to college mm -hmm. is that people just assume that we are saying that it's easier to not go to college mm -hmm. and we actually mean it, it to say the exact opposite mm -hmm. it's actually a lot harder because yeah. the path isn't laid out That's for you true. and because you have to forge your own path yep. and so while what you said was like that's amazing uh, that you were able to do all of that but i guess what were what was going through your mind when you were still just an employee at tony and guys mm -hmm. and now you're trying to open up you're you're trying to get your own book of business. Mm -hmm. You're trying to go get your, your you're trying to hunt your own clients, and then so now you're going to open up a chair. Mm -hmm. Like, what what's the what's the difference in mindset between an employee and yeah. being an entrepreneur? Well, it, it's it's pretty big. I mean, as an employee, you know, you are you know bound by their laws. You know, you have to <clears throat> work certain hours, and um, you know you get a commission. <clears throat> so you know, I couldn't be free and. I've never liked working for people, but you know, I, I paid my dues and I, I did it to build a clientele because you can't just go somewhere and just all of a sudden have a clientele. I mean, you have to work in a nice place and then they feed you business and, and then you, you know, cultivate that. And it takes a while to do that. And back then they didn't have the internet, you know, so I had to do it organically in terms of, you know, 
people would see my client's hair and ask where they, you know, it's all word of mouth back then. So it took a little longer. Maybe this day and age it's a little faster because I don't, I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine doing that now because I wouldn't know where to even start. <laughs> but I had the energy. I was young, you know, and I, I, I liked that. I liked the business part of it. Uh, along with the creative part of it. So it really massaged both of the sides of my brain, you know. But, um, yeah, so it took time. And then I inherited someone else's clientele. She was retiring. And, you know, that built it up. So eventually I had, I felt like secure enough where I could go and leave and take my clients with me. Now, that lady was not happy with me. But it happens in the business, you know. So, you know, that's expected. I did it as nicely as I could and gave her notice. Um, and so then uh, that's when I went off onto my own and just rented a chair. And my clients came to me, and then that's how it started. So I did that. I mean, it took me about, I don't know, 10 years of, of just working for people before I opened up my own business. Now Nowadays, it could be a little faster. I don't know. But... Um, you know, I never, it wasn't like a goal of mine to actually own my own salon. I would always, because I was happy with just working for myself. I didn't have employees to deal with. I was just an independent contractor. I could come and go as I pleased. It was just my chair and my clients. And then the receptionist would answer and book my appointments. So actually, that was a pretty good deal. But I don't know. I just thought I wanted more, you know, because I was successful and I was doing well. And then I thought, well, I'll go to the next level. You know, so I was in my late 30s, or tw I mean, late 20s doing that. Um, that was hard. You know, I, I had to sell, you know, 51%. Well, I, actually, I, I sold 49% of the company to raise the money. I, I kept the 51%. And, um, you know, it was beautiful. And we were successful right away because I did hire the best of the best in Austin. So it was really the premier salon, you know, because when you hire the best people, um, stylists, then they, their, their clientele comes with them. And I gave them a really good deal because I wanted those clients to come in to feed my other services. And so it was just a strategic thing that, that I did. And, um, it was great. Yeah. That, that's, we were profitable the first year, which is unheard of really in a new business. So, yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. Profitable in your first year. And where did you from that's quite a big leap from like renting your own chair mm -hmm. in somebody else's salon and going from mm -hmm. the independent contract, as you yeah. said, to now you've raised money right. and now like you, you have to show them a business mm -hmm. plan. I'm guessing you have to tell them, yes, here's my marketing strategy. Mm -hmm. Here's, you know, here's the market for it. Here's the talent that I'm going to go after. Here's what we're doing. Right. Like how did you learn all of that well, stuff? I mean, was it just well, reading books? Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I knew about how it, that I needed to do this, right? But I'm a big believer in hiring uh, the best uh, in their field. So I hired the best law firm, the Baker Botts, which is probably an overkill for what I wanted to do. But Baker Botts is one of the top law firms in the country, and um, I wanted them to set up the company and they helped me, you know, it cost me a lot of money. Uh, I had the best, uh, you know, uh, CPA, uh, firm, 
to manage uh, all of that stuff as well. So between, I, I had a really good team of people, but like I said, it did cost me a lot of money. But to me, I feel that that is money well spent because it protects you and they're, I trusted them. Um, I didn't just hire some old lawyer that, I don't know, that was less expensive. I just believe in paying for the best. <laughs> so. Where did you garner this interest for people to buy this 49% of this business, of this, I'm, I'm assuming it was an idea at that point, mm -hmm. right? I mean, did you, was it all pre-revenue? Like you didn't even have a brick and mortar location? What did it look like? No, we didn't. No, it was just all a vision. And um, I, I had a, a couple friends that wanted to invest. I mean, they knew my work. And also, it gave me credit as well, having this big law firm involved, because when people see them, they see, okay, this person is serious. It's not, you know, some, you know, uh, better call Saul kind of guy. <laughs> so, so that did give me credibility. And maybe that's one reason why I've always believed in that, because, you know, I, I don't have the college degree. You know, maybe, you know, they didn't, they saw my work. They knew I was one of the top stylists in Austin. So that's one thing. But when it comes to business and, and, and investing in a business, you really want to have some seasoned people involved. So that's, that's why I did that. So a little background on, on me and uh, mm -hmm. Hannah, my wife. Mm -hmm. We ran a business that's similar to a hair salon in Hawaii. And um, while it never, while we never got up to 70 employees, we were okay at it. And mm -hmm. uh, we, we saw some success in it. So it's very similar. Um, sure. The, the booking and the, the mm -hmm. style of business, really. Mm -hmm. um, the way that we did it to garner people, we, we didn't go, we went straight from knowing how to do a service into mm -hmm. opening up our own shop. Mm -hmm. We kind of skipped the intermediary of, sure. of renting a chair somewhere. Right. And, the way that we did that quickly was through social media and mm -hmm. through um, showing our results on there. But as you said, back in the day, they didn't really have those things. Right. And so how, how did you garner word of mouth? Like, or how, did, how would you show people that, hey, I'm Robin and I'm mm -hmm. at you know, X salon, you know, come, book, come book appointments <laughs> with me? Yeah, you know, like I said, I think it was my work. Um, a lot of, most of the people that I uh, had come to me were, it was from word of mouth. That was my number one. And number two was I did a mailing list uh, where I was able to get uh, people in certain regions uh, in, the, in the, you know, Austin that I, you know, because I was pretty expensive. I was very expensive. So I needed a certain type of clientele. So I would market uh, you know, through the mail, the, those areas, you know, I think people still do that. Um, but they do it maybe electronically or something like that. I still get a lot of stuff in the mail. So I think people still target yeah. mail. <laughs> uh, most of my mail is just <laughs> junk mail. Yeah. yeah. And so the thing, the secret about that though, so here's the thing. I was able to create something that looked very unique very different. I didn't want to be just a hairstylist. I wanted to be a celebrity hairstylist. I, I wanted to be the top. Okay. That's my goal. I didn't want to just, you know, 
in TV, they show all these hairstylists that are just uneducated and, you know, whatever. I, I really pushed away from that, and I tried to work at just the very top places. And so I had a really great resume. And for Austin, back then in the 90s, coming, you know, with a resume with, you know, Scott Cole uh, from Vidal Sassoon, uh, Tony and Guy, um, you know, all of these, these top names, I had a great resume. And people were like, wow. I'll go see her. So when they saw that, so it, it's it's about making yourself look different, you know. And um, you know, I was not the ordinary, average person. Plus, I charged a lot of money, and that's another thing. You know, it, it's a snob appeal. The more you charge, the more people think it's great. But along with that is that you have to perform, and you have to give them like they're going to be pickier. So my clients were very particular, um, but I specialized in color, and I specialized in a natural-looking color, which a lot of people didn't maybe want or whatever, but my clients, you could not tell that it was actually fake color, you know? So I had a little special thing going, and, and it, it was, you know, these clients were, were, were paying a lot, for back in the 90s, $800, $900 but by the time they left, you know. So, uh, and I only worked three days a week because I, that's all I had to do. But I had a lot of assistance, and I booked somebody every 30 minutes. So I was doing pretty well. Uh, and then I was able to just do only color if I wanted or just, you know, color and cutting. Uh, I didn't have to do perms, which I hated. So I just specialized. One of the things that is crazy for us as we experience this very similar thing to what you said is that you know when we were first garnering business we figured the only way that we could you know get into the market and get people to come to us was price mm -hmm. and so we cut prices we cut prices mm -hmm. we cut prices mm -hmm. and we were like we do better work than the, the our yeah. our competitors mm -hmm. like why are we why are we cutting undercutting them why don't we just charge more? Mm -hmm. Because we felt exactly what you said. Mm -hmm. We felt like we were differentiated. And I think that's a sure. huge thing of what you of yep. what you hit on mm -hmm. is differentiation and just being good at what you do. And then along with that comes with what's difficult is communicating that to other people. So yeah. not only are you the best, but then communicating that to somebody and then the ultimate is what you said is word of mouth and having them right. communicate that to somebody else. Right? right. Like Robin, she's you gotta go you gotta go see her. She's the best. You right. know, like and that's like that's the Those holy grail. Once you get that Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And like once you get that going, you know, it's you're off to the races. Right. And your client is your first client. Every client is your first client. That's how you have to really look at them. Especially, you know, being in the service business is that you really, each person, you have to really detail, you know, have a detailed, you know, relationship with them. And you have to perform. You cannot, you know, that's where I learned really how to read body language. Because for 25 years, having a person in my chair that's spending, you know, close to $1,000 back in the 90s, that person expected the best. And so I had to read them. Because I did, a lot of people would say, they wouldn't tell me if they didn't like it. And then they would never come back. And I never wanted that. So I always had to be very 
aware of how they felt, even if they didn't tell me, I could tell, right? Yeah. So I would change yeah, it. Yeah, definitely. And so that's, that's a skill that I learned, uh, body language, which I'm, it was great. I'm glad that I did learn that because I've used that through my whole life. With using that in your own life, I mean, that seems like that would permeate everywhere. I mean, where else have you used that? Uh, I used it overseas when I lived overseas. When we uh, moved to China, I did not know Mandarin at all. And I figured out that the body language is the same everywhere. It's, it, it defies culture. It's just, it's just a very basic human instinct. And so I was actually able to maneuver through China uh, by reading body language. It was crazy. But it really worked. And I knew when they were not happy. I knew when, you know, I, I really didn't know the words they were speaking, but I knew maybe sometimes they were not good things they were saying. And then I could tell if they were saying good things. So, yeah. And then I made up my own words in Mandarin, and it worked. So <laughs> I'm very <laughs> unconventional. <laughs> but I got what I wanted. So, I'd make up words, and they laugh, and they give me what I wanted. So... <laughs> That's uh, that's amazing. Uh, so you would just uh, just say some sort of Mandarin gibberish in, to them, well, along with some sort of body language. Yeah. Well, what I would do, yeah. I mean, like for instance, because it's a lot of that language is very literal, and they put things together. You know. Uh, so, for instance, I you know I don't know, like Shuijia's water house. I mean, sometimes they use that as a term for uh, a. A bridge or a or dam or something like that. I can't remember. But so I thought, well, gosh, if these words are just kind of two words put together, I can I could come up with whatever I want. So I needed gloves because I went ice skating with the kids and I didn't know the word for gloves, but I did know the word for clothes and I did know the word for hand. So I just said, Well yeah, I want uh uh show ifu, which was hand clothes. I wanted hand clothes, and they laughed, and they gave me gloves. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's how I got around China was from body language and making up my own words <laughs> from real words. You know, I just put them together. Right, know. right. That's amazing. That's amazing. And uh, I guess there's nothing like uh, necessity, like when that's you right. need, you know you need you need you needed gloves and it's that's like, right. What's that? What's that saying? Necessity is the father of invention, or something like that. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And it's like I, I could sit here and feel like feel dumb yeah. and be cold, or yeah. I could just be dumb for a second and right. then get gloves. Exactly. <laughs> that is that is amazing. You have to be creative, uh, you know. And that's another thing yeah. too. I think when you do go out on your own, you you really rely more on your instincts. And I'm a big believer in, in really honing in on those instincts because that's your survival. And I think that when you do go to college, not everybody, but when you do go, you lend your, you know, that away to somebody else. You, 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 don't, you don't tap into it because you're relying on this professor to give you his idea of what it means. Whereas your natural instincts actually are much stronger and much more correct than a professor that's really never maybe experienced anything. He's just telling you about what he studied in a book. 
you know? So I really believe in, you know, doing things and learning it that way. Absolutely. And with like, I guess the statistics on professors, just to, not to like poo-poo college on this show, but we kind of do it all the time. But <laughs> most professors, <laughs> most professors actually have never had mm -hmm. a job outside of academia. Most mm -hmm. professors go the route of, um, you know, they get their first degree, then they get their master's right. and then they get their doctorate. Mm -hmm. And then they, their, their track is professorship, sure. professorhood, <laughs> however you want to say it. Right. And the, you know, they've never held jobs outside of, you know, in the real world. Right. That's, that's most of them. There are, um, there are practical professors and everything like mm -hmm. that. Um, and there are some that have done what they teach mm -hmm. in the real world, but that's, which I think are, those are the great ones, you know? And like I said, and, and what you're saying too, not all university is bad. Um, you know, my kids are going, uh, you know, our kids are going, uh, so it's just, it's just a path that what, whatever makes you feel good because it's all in your mind. You know, what, if, if going to college and having that degree makes you feel better, then go because see, that's, what's going to make you do well. If you feel good about yourself, then, then that's, that's what you need to do. What made me feel good about myself is being independent and actually um, going to these top stylists and working for them. Now, not everyone can do that. I was lucky. I mean, I think there's a big luck factor in it as well. But I really worked hard at – I wasn't going to give up. I would – like, there's one place that I, I wanted to work at, and I for a year I went there almost every week. You know, I just didn't give up. So just don't give up. That's really important. Let's dig a little deeper on that. There's a place that you wanted to work at, mm -hmm. and then you would just go there once a week, like asking for a job or? Yep, and, 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 and just talk to them and say, you know, I really, right, and just visit with the owners and just talk to them. And, you know, and there was never an opening. But then one day there was an opening, and I got it. That is amazing. That like perseverance, that stick to itiveness, like to personally, yep. I, I mean, I might be able to do that now. Uh, no, you know what? I probably still couldn't do that now. Like I probably, <laughs> I, I don't have that. Like, uh, and that's amazing, you know, and that's what it takes, uh, to, to, to do that. Yeah. To just keep getting told no and then just keep going back. Yep. And getting a goal, you know, having a goal like that, you know, if it's something that you really want to do, and I've never wanted to work in just a, you know, uh, just a normal salon. I've always really wanted to go work at the top salons because that is what made me feel good about me, you know? So, and my resume, that I like that. It made me feel good. And so if going to college, you know, makes you feel that way, then then do it. Or you know, go to college for a little while and see if, if it's good for you, but don't, don't rely on it. You got to rely on yourself and see really, you got to really be in tune with yourself to be honest. Yeah. It's, and it's hard as a child, you know, when you're young, like, what do you really want? Like you gotta, I've always loved doing hair and, and I've always been creative. So I knew that that was something that I liked to do. So I'm glad I did that. Yeah. With what you said about like relying on college, I think that's really important where, and I know I, I have a degree and I was 
in my generation, it was kind of not even a thought, especially for me. I am come from right. a Japanese uh, Chinese background, so mm-hmm. they're mm-hmm. very much about school. It was never an option to not sure. go to school. And so right. it was always expected of me. But w- along the way in this whole college thing and it's definitely an error on my part, but part of the marketing as well mm-hmm. is that if you get this degree, then you will be qualified for a job. Then you will mm-hmm. then get a job. But what I didn't realize at the time was that that's completely inaccurate. If you get the degree, that's supposed right. to maybe supplement your experience, mm-hmm. right? Like they still mm-hmm. want to see that you've done things that are relevant in that space. Like if you have a degree, oh, right. for sure. If you have a degree in you know whatever it is, finance or something, they still want to see that you mm-hmm. maybe got internships or that you got an apprenticeship, oh, yeah. with a finance or with an accounting firm Absolutely. or something like that. And right, right. I think that that's something that's missing in the marketing. The oh, sure. I mean, and the same is even with the school. I knew in cosmetology school that uh, that wasn't going to give me my job. What was going to give me my job were my internships that I had to do for another two, three years, you know, uh, which was sort of like maybe graduate school for, you know, in the college world or something. Because I went to school for a long time and I, I looked at my internships as school, <laughs> kind of. I mean, I was paid for it, but it was very minimal and I had to do all the yucky stuff. But um, I, that's where I really learned, you know, I, I just did the, the school just to get my license. And from there is where you have the key in this field is to work for the top and be, you know, an assistant R- for a while. Right. You had to pay your dues. But I think that that's the same in everything. In college, you have no real world experience. So, yeah, it is important to get internships and just you know, even your first year out of school, you know, you may be working in a place you don't want to, but you want to get experience. You know, you may not be making a lot of money, but it's all about that. And I'm t- people, kids, they need to, they really need to network in school. I think that that's another important thing that maybe they're not doing as well, as much, but I would totally be networking with my professors because they know a lot of people. I would be networking with other students, you know, in, in, in higher grades or I don't know. It's just, it's all about who you know. It's all about uh, not just who you know, but you have to have something that follows that up. You know, you have to be diligent. You have to be tenacious. You have to be, you know, willing to do the crap work, you know, and work hard. And you'll, it'll pay off. And no matter what you do, if you go to college or you do something else. With the networking, what's with college, what we find is that when you're networking amongst your peers, while that's good, definitely in the long term, like, especially if you guys come up together, um, for Mm -hmm. the immediate, for the immediacy of it, I mean, everybody's, especially if you're in the same program, you guys are all, vying for the same jobs instead of really becoming mm-hmm. a network you're kind of competition and i mean that's that's okay that's fine sure. um but mm-hmm. you know what we find is really good with networking is kind of fine starting 
or finding a niche mm-hmm. and and then kind right. of you know something simple too it could be starting a podcast just like this and where we meet people absolutely you know i have a reason to yeah under the guise of my podcast i can like mm-hmm. talk to you know you for example I, I never would have talked to you before it's a great idea because then you have something you have a platform that you can go to these people and say hey i'd like to you know everyone loves to talk about themselves and so that's another thing I learned, you know, because you have these clients in front of you and you have to really know what to say because it could be very uncomfortable to have silence. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you want them to like you and you want, you know, so it's like you have to have sort of a gift of gab or learn. Everyone can do it, but you just have to learn to be a very social person. So having a platform like a podcast or, you know, writing or you want to interview people, going up to these people and saying, uh, you know, I would like to write something about you. Do, do you have a moment at some point that I could do that? I mean, so that's a way to kind of break in. I mean, and I know kids are, are very insecure and they're scared, but do you have nothing to lose. Yeah. I mean, you just got to get rid of that fear and just go for it and not worry about what they think. You know, that's part of the whole thing is people are so afraid to do anything. And so, so, so afraid and it's to the point where it's uh, debilitating to the point where you won't even begin. It is. Yeah. You were talking about instincts and following your instincts. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. is something that I really never did before ever. I didn't even know that I had instincts maybe prior to like five years ago or maybe even less than that maybe a couple of years ago and it was very much like follow a pa- i have a plan don't listen to any of my instincts i, I think because i thought it was like emotions like whatever gut feeling that i'm having i feel like you're being emotional don't listen to that you have a plan stick to it and maybe uh, i now that i'm kind of listening to my instincts more i'm starting to see kind of outsized returns big, more than I've ever seen in my life. And I guess what were some of the keys? Like, how do you start listening to your instincts? Or, or what are instincts? Well, I mean, I feel like they're triggered by need, number one. And and the thing is, is this, it's survival. It's a survival mechanism. And when you're, you know, I put myself out there uh, to not follow the traditional path. So I really had to use my instincts, you know, I mean, in the beginning, you don't know what they are, but I would start and I'm like, Oh, okay, I'm going to do that. Okay. You know, so it's little by little, you start to feel those feelings and, and, and you know that that works. So a lot of times though, those, those instincts aren't triggered until later in life because there's already been a, a plan for you or you had a fixed mindset in your mind that this is the, this is the path that you want to do. So not, n- not necessarily people have given you that path, but us as individuals give our, us that path by having a fixed mindset because this is the way we want to go. So I, I really didn't have any, like, path. <laughs> I mean, I did. I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew that oh, I'm going to work at the very best. I wanted to just work at the very best. So that's all I did. So it wasn't like a 
this is, I got to do this, I got to do this, 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 and this. You know, it was just as I went, and I was like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do that. So I would do that for a while. And then I'm thinking, okay, maybe I should do this. You know, it's like I didn't have anyone else, you know, I didn't have professors telling me I should do this or parents telling me I should do this. So I actually learned, and that's where you learn it, you know. You, you, you learn it out in the streets, um, and it's survival, and it's a shame that we don't allow our kids to to get that because we 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 don't want them to go through what we went through, you know, because there was a lot of pain and and disappointment. But that's it's those it's those valleys that created, you know, those highs, and 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 the appreciation of it. So when we don't let our kids feel any of that, it's sort of boring. And it's like no wonder these kids are numb or they're, they have no desire or they're like they don't know what to do. You know, it's like let them fail. <laughs> let them feel it. You know, that's what triggers your instincts, you know, to survive. It's just natural. It will happen. But, and I'm, I'm part of the problem too. I did that with my kids. And I was a helicopter mom. And uh, now I, you know, I'm a drone mom, but uh, <laughs> I'm way up high. Uh, but, you know, and I still sort of, you know, if I see them going a direction, I do say, mm, I don't know, what do you think about, I, I try not to be that way because my kids are now, you know, they're doing fine and, but they know what I expect. And I know that, you know, just little things, you know, I want them to respect me and be kind and, you know, so all those things worked, you know, before puberty, you know, they gel after puberty. So it, that was the hard work is the first 12 years <laughs> is putting that. And then once that's done, you're good. You they may kind of stray a little bit, but they come right back, you know, that, so that's, I'm going off. Subject, no, no, but. that's awesome. <laughs> Actually, that's perfect because I mean, as we said offline, I just had my first well, I didn't have it, but Hannah and I just have our yeah. first uh, <laughs> uh, daughter. And um, yeah, well, yeah. that's so wonderful. Yeah, that was a, a couple of weeks ago. So this parenting stuff is uh, completely new to me. Uh, sure. And it, but it's something that we do think about a lot. Follow your instincts with that, too, by the way. The, the less you read, honestly, the better off you are because you're going to have people telling you, oh, well, you shouldn't do that. You should. But just. Do what you feel you should do. You know, you'll know. You were kind of talking about there is like letting your kids fail and kind of like experiencing hardship. And, mm -hmm. you know, that's a that's difficult for a lot of people. I have a very good, yes, very close friend of mine where their her mother is a she's an absolute star. She's an absolute um, mm -hmm. she's a amazing, beautiful, kind person, but she's also, mm -hmm. um, extremely driven, extremely accomplished. Uh, there, mm -hmm. she's a first generation immigrant, um, from the Philippines mm -hmm. and, you know, she's very good at what she does. And, you know, there was no way that this lady was ever going to be a failure. Like, you know, she could sell ice to an Eskimo. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And right. she, but then. We ha we've had conversations, uh, the, the mom and, and I, about my friend and talking about how she can 
instill some sense of like need or want, or, you know, some sort of hunger in her daughter. Uh-huh. And right. And I was like, I, I'm, I don't know. I, it seems like it's, it's difficult because I, I just told her straight, mm-hmm. like you've been so successful and you've, you basically given her everything, you know, like, because she didn't want yeah. her to, and that's not bad. It, it just, I mean, it's, it's out of a kind, you know, you love your kids so much and you don't want them, you know, but it doesn't help them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, giving them time and your time and, 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 uh, you know, that's more important, giving them the emotional time. Uh, but when it comes to, you know, things, you know, or money or, or objects or something, you know, it, you know, a lot of people just throw that at them because it makes the kids instantly happy and this and that. But, uh, you know, having them look, work for it and having them, you know, my kids worked, started working when they were pretty young. And, uh, you know, I think that's a big important thing. Uh, is for them and it makes them feel good about themselves too but yeah it's hard when you are that way and I was I was that way and but then see the thing with me is that I have three kids and their father passed away and uh in front of us I mean he died of cancer and uh it was you know he was sick for 30 days and then he 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 died and um, you know, my kids were front and center there and they were quite young. I mean, they were like 16, 13 and 12, something like that. And, um, this is a bad ages as, as well on top of it, but I couldn't protect them from that. I couldn't, that's like the worst thing that a, a, a child could go through ever is to see a parent die in front of them, you know, or just die. And I thought at that moment, I thought they've gone through the worst thing ever that they could experience. If they can survive this, even though this is the most tragic thing, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make them strong for life because really there's nothing that comes close to that, you know? So uh, I kind of loosened the chain a bit with the kids, and um, they had all gone through puberty, so they all you know, were sort of gelled in, in their, you know, moral compass and all their things that I taught them on up to this age. So I was more lenient. They were sort of surprised, but I figured, you know, they fig- they, they've experienced it, so they're going to, this is going to make them strong, and, and I think that they're going to be okay. So that's when I sort of backed off a bit because I couldn't protect them anymore from pain. Mm-hmm. Um, that was it. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. With, with yeah. the kids, when they're, we have a lot of parents that listen to this uh, show and they're mm-hmm. wondering about how to guide children um, mm-hmm. you know, in life and making those decisions, but especially, particularly in their career. Um, how have you dealt with that? How have you done that with your own with your own kids it's been you know each stage of having children I always say it's hard it's it's okay so this was harder than that one this is you know but 
I feel like this was this is really the hardest I think I've I've dealt with because it's launching them that's pretty tough and uh, and cutting them off. You know what I mean? It's like you know you're used to having them around and you're used to you know doing things and they're used to you paying for things and but it's like okay you want to keep doing it but you don't because it's it's something that it it'll it's taking away from them so this has been pretty tough you know so i'm going through it now so we'll see you know i i keep them on a pretty small budget cuz the ones that are in college right now we we have them on a very small budget and they have to work if they want extra stuff they just have to work and um I get a lot of pushback, you know, but I'm, I'm like, well, go, I don't know, get another job. I, I, cause I just can't do it. I just know that. So with, with, with my kids a lot, you know, they are very, um, what would you say? Uh, they are, uh, sort of like me in terms of, uh, uh street smart, you know, because I've not, spoiled them that much. I've made them do things, you know. I'm I'm really proud of the fact that that they can, you know, if there's a problem, you know, if we have duct tape, we can fix it. You know, I mean, it's those critical thinking skills that they they've they have and a lot of people don't have. Uh so they won't be like the professors that have never lived life because I make them learn all sorts of stuff, you know, and I give them books about uh, uh, body language. I talk to them about body language. These are all the things that I think were important for me. Uh, without a college degree, these were the things that I needed to know. And so I always tell them this is something very important that you need to learn. Uh, I, I like them to learn these different languages, uh, which they have. Um, just things that are just, you know, I want them to be good drivers. Uh, you know, uh, I want them to be able to protect themselves. You know, so I've had them go through all sorts of, you know, uh, different, you know, martial arts. Um, I just want to prepare them for, for basic living. You know, like if we were stuck in the middle of nowhere, they know what plants they can eat. Or they know, like, it, they just, like, I would feel good about being in the middle of nowhere with them. We would figure out how to survive. A lot of people, I'm going to tell you this, a lot of people that are even from the uh, you know, Ivy League schools, I would never want to be stuck in the middle of nowhere with them because I would die, <laughs> or they would die. I wouldn't, <laughs> but they would. Do you know what I mean? So it's like you want to have a really good balance of just practical knowledge with, okay, with book smarts, but do you know what I mean? It's like I, I want my kids to be well-rounded in, in, in that respect and, and, and be able to survive off the grid if they had to. I think it's important. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, what's interesting about like kind of uh, the, the, the road that we walk down here is uh, Hannah and I, um, we do a lot of thinking about this type of stuff about what could we teach our children in order for them to like um, be well-rounded I guess is the best way to yeah. kind of self-sufficient uh, or um, because as it's shaping up you know Hannah and I both we didn't 
really come from money. We, we weren't both of our families. We weren't poor. Uh-huh. We were both of them were pretty much squarely lower middle class, like just broke mm-hmm. into middle class. Um, right. And so we didn't have everything we wanted, but we weren't always hungry. And sure. as it's shaping up, we were doing more thinking about it because it looks like, you know, hopefully if, you know, everything stays the same or gets better, our kids are going to experience something that we never did, which is being, you know, right. more than. And sure. And so we were thinking, okay, well, if money is no object, let's use a thought experiment that money is no mm-hmm. object. Mm-hmm. What are some skills that we could use that money for to put to good use? And so some of the things that we were thinking about, we didn't even think about what you were saying, which is good. I just took a bunch of notes here, uh, like mm-hmm. all those hard skills that are just life skills, like like out in the yeah. wilderness and, and, and the things mm-hmm. like that. But we were thinking more about careers um, and we were thinking, okay, well, exactly what you said, like paying for language lessons, um, you yeah. know, that that's huge right there. Like that's something that my parents right. definitely couldn't do for me and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people can't. But what if, if we could afford it, right. you know, that is a hard skill that you would learn. Okay, you, could, you can speak Mandarin, you can speak Spanish. Boom. Right. You know, perfect. Right. Um, right, and we were right. thinking maybe we could pay for like for them to become a pilot. That's something that money mm-hmm. could buy, you know, that, uh, you know, right. it's just, we're just kind of do these thought experiments of like, how yeah, do we, great. how do we not necessarily spoil them, but mm-hmm. kind of give them skills for their life going right. forward. At least they have something to fall back on, you know, they're multilingual oh, for sure. and they have these hard yes. skills. Yeah, and so yeah, I think that's a great idea, and that's going to be sort of in layers, right? Because when they're young, you've got to think about things. You know, the problem is here in the states, and 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 the one thing I had going for us is that they were like my son was six, and my daughters were, uh, you know, three and two when we moved overseas, and so um, I was able to protect them from, you know, commercials, TV. You know, these kids are inundated with, with, you know, stuff. You know, I want this, I want this. And we'd come back in the summertime and they'd be like, oh, I want to I buy that. Or, and then when they go to school, then the kids have the best phones, right, the top phones, and they didn't have a phone. And I'm like, I'm, so we experienced that overseas because, you know, these kids are wealthy that are going to their schools. Uh, but we just didn't do it. It's hard to say no, you know. We got him just the basic phone when it was time, when we thought it was time. And uh, so you have to be strong, really, to set the boundaries, okay? And I, one thing I, I want to say is that you, it starts when they're babies. You, you can't not start when they're three, four years old. It starts when they're babies because they train you if you don't train them. You know what I mean? So, uh, and, and that doesn't mean being mean or like uh, this terrible disciplinarian, but it does mean you, 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 you're there emotionally for them. Like our kids slept with us in our bed. We had a family bed. There was, you know, they never had any pacifiers or blankets that they had to carry around, you know, for security. They always had us. Um, so that's a good start with that. Um, I always made them sit 
when we went out to eat or even at home. I didn't let them throw food. I didn't, you know, when I was, I was, I'm an older parent, so I always would go out to eat, and I'd see these kids before I had kids, and I'd like, uh, I, I, I just, I couldn't believe that these parents would let their kids just throw everything. It was a mess, and I, I thought to myself, if I ever have kids, I am never going to let them, them do that, and I didn't, but it takes a lot of just on top of them. It's hard. That's all I did. That was my job. I was on them, you know, like bees on honey every <laughs> second. Because if you don't, then it won't work. So I was really very there. And I made them sit properly. I made them use a prep fork. Like, I, these are the things that they need to learn from parents, not from school. And, and unfortunately, a lot of parents think that the school is going to teach them these things, and it doesn't. You know, and I know I understand people work. I worked, you know, but you still have time to sit with your kids and explain when you're sitting down to eat. This is what you do. This is how you set the table or this is, you know, you're not throwing your food. You're, you know, this is what you're going to eat, you know. And, um, yeah, it's just it's just very you have to be very diligent. Yeah, definitely. I never spanked my kids. Uh, I never, you know, had to do that, but they did have time out and they didn't, you know, they, they still try to manipulate me, but you know, I see right through what they're doing. So then they stop because I just, I look at them funny and they know what I'm saying. (laughs) (laughs) So they know my body language. (laughs) Kind of switching gears here. I didn't want to go back to Mm -hmm. your, you know, your business when you were first, um, starting, what was the, the name of your salon? Adonari. Adonare? And it means beautiful in Italian. When you were starting Adonare, like, when were you, so you raised this money, you went out, Mm -hmm. you you found a place. Mm -hmm. Did you, you immediately, you said you'd like to hire the best people. You immediately went out and hired 70 people or did it, did it grow? It grew. I had my base, you know, uh, people. And then we hired uh, people that didn't have a clientele that were new in the business that had that took the overflow. So uh, when we when we rented this space, we had to build it out. It was a brand new building, so we had to go through the construction work and everything. So it was some time that I I had to to find the people that I wanted. And so when you said seventy people on staff, how many chairs did you guys have? Just kind of paint a picture of this. I think place. we had seventeen. We, I think we had 17 chairs, something like that. And uh, we had a bunch of assistants um, and because we offered the assistance to these people. Uh, and then we had massage therapists. We had uh, estheticians. We had uh, nail you know, people. Mm-hmm. So, and then front desk people. So we had a, a big, yeah, it was a big business. You know, when going from independent contractor, working for yourself, you, you're renting mm-hmm. a p- chair in somebody else's salon, and then now mm-hmm. you're the boss, and now you're 51% owner of this salon mm-hmm. that is employing 70 people, uh, did, like, I guess, what is the mindset shift there? I mean, is it for me personally, mm-hmm. I, think, I think about it, 
70 people we have one person that works full-time with us and mm -hmm. like i'm just thinking like man to have 70 of those people that's crazy yeah you know it like, is crazy <laughs> i know uh so what again um with me i always find a professional that's that does their job well and we hired a manager a good one we paid her good money and um of course, that's going to come out of our profit. But see, I I, I rather have a successful business and have a a, a, a smaller amount given to me, uh, and have a good business that's running well, and um, I don't have to have the headache of dealing with those people, you know, because that's that's a whole nother job. And this woman was specialized in that. So, um, and it wasn't she was like really really good because we paid her good money we found we had a budget that we wanted to find a good person because we didn't want to deal with it my partners didn't want to deal with it they wanted somebody good so i think it's important to you know some people are like well i don't want to i can't afford that or i don't want to it cut into my my profits but i'm i'm telling you it's not gonna go well <laughs> if i'd rather have 10 percent of something than 100 percent of nothing you know that's sort of my way of thinking and always get the best you know I I really believe that you know when you are doing something you know what you're good at stay in your lane hire somebody else but hire the best of that person I mean you just surround yourself with really intelligent people that is amazing advice where do you think were you always like that did you always hold that advice? Because the way that I, the entrepreneurs that I meet, and I'm very much like this myself, I always want to mm -hmm. do everything. I always want to, like, mm -hmm. I, we don't need, ah, we don't need to hire a web developer. I, I can learn that. You know, we don't need to hire mm -hmm. an accountant. Mm -hmm. I can learn how to do that. And I think a lot of it has to yeah. do with pride. Uh, I think that that's the number one thing. It's kind of like, I'm doing this on my own. But then a second one is then exactly what you said, the money, right? People get short-sighted yeah. with, with thinking, okay, I don't want to, you know, pay this person when I can learn how to do it. Right. Was that right. something natural for you? Well, I think it had a lot to do with me not having a degree. And um, I had to, I felt like maybe I had to surround myself with people that did have the big degrees or that um, were the best in their field. It made me uh, look better. It made, um, I guess, me, uh, I don't know. It just, it just added something to, to, to my idea, you know, because it's not like, oh, here's this hairstylist trying to, you know, create this multi-million dollar business. You know, they had, oh, she's got Baker Botts. Oh, she's got, you know, blah, blah, blah. She's serious. So... You know, I think that it all stemmed from that because um, I felt like, well, I do what I do well, so I'm just going to find somebody that's going to make me look good. I, like, I borrowed their their expertise to make myself look good, if that makes sense. You know, they became partners with me. And, yeah, so that was my team. I mean, they were expensive, but, you know, and, and I know... When people start their businesses, 
you know, you are on a shoestring. Um, the way I did it is I was making money while I was doing my business. And um, when I even switched over to my salon, I was still working doing hair. And I was, that's how I was making my personal money. You know, I was able to keep that. And then the profits of the salon I would share, you know, and I would get a piece of that. But uh, I'd much rather just do what I enjoy doing and what I'm good at and then just hiring somebody, even if it comes out of my pocket, I think it's worth it because it's just more, I don't know, more enjoyable. It was a bad experience. Right. That is extremely, extremely wise. And I need to learn. <laughs> I need to learn from that myself. <laughs> with, and then with um, talking about your salon, how did it? Are, you're not still running it. How, how did it end? Oh, no, 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 no. Well, so I started having kids, <clears throat> children, and I was not there as much, you know, and we had moved out of the city. And so with me owning, you know, the 51% and my three partners owning the 49%, it really wasn't fair. You know, I was the visionary, but um, I would come in like once a month and do uh, some clients and then leave. So, you know, my, my partners approached me and said that they, would I be interested in being bought out? And I, I talked to my husband about it, and I thought that's probably the fairest thing to do <clears throat> is to do that. You know, because now I'm really a full-time mom, and, you know, um, I had three kids in four years, so I was pretty busy. And then uh, we did that. So I, I, they, they bought me out. How was the transition hood into, uh, how was the transition? Hello, transition hood. How was the transition into full-time parenthood into like becoming a full-time? Was it, was it easy? Was it, um, did you feel like you were missing something? I did miss the business part of it. Cause I do love business. I mean, I love hair, but I love the business part of it too. Um, so I did a little bit of hair, you know, when they're, like I said, I would go back and forth. But then when we moved overseas, you know, that was, you know, my son, he's the oldest, so he was just turned six. And uh, after that, I couldn't work because I didn't have a work permit. So I had to, you know, just be the mom. And But that was a big job, <laughs> being a mom over, like, in Ghana, where we had no running water or electricity. I mean, it kept me busy chasing water trucks and stuff like that. So I had other stimulation, just survival when living <laughs> over in these places, <laughs> along with <laughs> being a parent. So it did keep me occupied. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. So yeah, but now that the kids are older, and you know, I am doing a little bit of stuff. I mean, I'm working with James uh, with some things and I'm, I'm considering, you know, doing a podcast, a small one, you know, starting out just talking about m just things, you know, experiences that we had stories overseas that are kind of funny. And with my friends, I mean, my friends are all over the world, you know, so it's fun to reminisce and talk about some of these things that you can't really make up, you know, so, and then maybe about parenting. I don't know. I'm just sort of in that time of my life where my kids are sort of flying away and I got to figure out what, what I'm going to do. That's, that's my big thing right now. Right. You're kind of in, an, you're in another transition right now. 
Yeah, uh, it even seems me. like I, I am. Yeah, that's no. that's amazing. One of the things that we see with career transitions in general, like whether it's you know selling your business or uh, even you know moving from, we see a lot of like teachers or nurses transition into mm -hmm. like you know tech or even becoming full time parents, and wow. we see that that's one of the biggest things is kind of missing something like to mm -hmm. you know kind of i guess to add a little bit of spice in the day but i guess what right. you said about um you know just worrying about surviving is pretty uh <laughs> that's uh yeah. that'll keep you busy oh wow it was it kept me busy for sure um so yeah, that was that was very stimulating. And being, you know, if anyone ever has an opportunity to live abroad, uh, it's it's very different than travel, you know. And it was great. It was great for the kids. It was great for me. Talk about, you know, skills that you need. You know, just problem solving skills. You know, create. You know, critical thinking skills. You definitely need in places like that. Like I learned how to be a plumber. I learned how to be everything <laughs> because you know things break there and you need to figure out how to fix it you know yeah so. in ghana with the with you said you didn't have any running water and you had to wait no. chase water trucks water like trucks. How, how does that work yeah. so they, they like, come with big like tankers yeah a big water tanker and you know they just go around well they pick up this water from these water holes that are just so disgusting i mean and ghana has all sorts of water bacterias and stuff like that and so ugh, i'd have to grab one and then you have to pay them cash and then they'll come and then they'll pour it into your big tank that you have we had two large tanks and i mean very big and then uh you know we my my late husband worked for an oil company so you know they took pretty good care of us but then they put in these huge i mean i'm talking huge filters and there were like three or four of them they looked like rockets okay they were so big and the water would have to filter through all of, all of those three or four of them until they came out into the into the house out of the pipe and we still couldn't drink it we could bathe in it but we could not drink it so it was crazy and i had to do that every other day I'd go find water and then there's no electricity because they would in the middle of the night they would steal all the uh, copper wiring from the, right. from everything. <laughs> so we had a, yeah. a generator that we had to work on all the time that didn't work half the time. <laughs> so, wow. Well, so yeah. wh what did you guys do for drinking water? Did, uh, uh, we had to get uh, special water, you know, brought in. Or we would have to, you know, when we cooked, we would boil it, the water really well. But we couldn't even hang clothes outside to dry because of those tsetse flies that would lay eggs on the on the um, the wet fabric. And then when you wear it, you put it on, those little worms burrow into your skin, into your skin. and they grow and until it matures and then it pops out of your skin. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that they had. And we didn't have a dryer, so I'm thinking to myself, so... So we had to iron everything because the iron would kill those worms or the, the eggs. And even your underwear you had to iron. And you had to iron it super well 
because you didn't want to have any of those in you. Well, I had an idea. So see, these are the kind of things that really stimulated me. I was thinking, let's just put, you know, those, those um, you know, bed nets, which are impregnated with pyrethrins, you know, that would not allow bugs or insects to come near it. I said, let's just get those, and we put them over the clothes, and then we didn't have to iron them because none of those bugs went over there anymore. I mean, and then we didn't have to spend time ironing. We could wear our, our wrinkled clothes like we liked because I didn't. <laughs> we were used to having everything so ironed in our underwear and everything. So it worked. And I'm like, well, this is a great thing. Why doesn't everyone do this? I don't know. But it was yeah. fun living in places like that because, you know, you can invent stuff that these people haven't really thought of really yet you know but i like that every day is a yeah. different day stimulating <laughs> that's awesome it's stimulating no, <laughs> there's no one day that was the same <laughs> robin i want to be uh, respectful of your time i have uh, uh, a couple of fun. last questions yeah, yeah thank sure. you for coming on um one of the things that, that I, I ask every guest is for people that are looking to do you know what you did be a successful entrepreneur without a degree kind of learn all of these soft skills it seems like you are an expert at soft skills right from yeah. from the from the body from the body language yes. to getting people to uh, buy into your vision uh right. you know you're a you're a, mm -hmm. a a hairstylist with a chair and then you have a vision you're selling 49 percent of a dream you know, you have all these uh, soft skills. Are there any mm -hmm. books or resources that I could point them to that you suggest a lot of? Yeah, you know, it is true. That I think it's probably the most important thing to, to have is that a skill. Because the thing is, if you look about it, think about it, people just want to be around somebody that's positive and happy, um, you know, that makes them feel happy, you know, and... I, it's super important just to be a positive person, number one. Okay, if you're a negative person, you know, I, I don't really think you need a book for this, to be honest. I mean, it's oh, just, these are just simple things uh, that if you really think about it, it's just common sense. And what, what do they say about common sense? It's not very common. But if you just really just go, just, it's just very simple. You know, you be a good person, you, you, you become... You know, you, you find out what you really want to do, and you don't give up, you know. And it's people talk about grit. They, there's all these self-help books, and it's great. But, I mean, you really have to find your own gate, okay? But I do know there are certain things that are important. One is you really want to be a people person. You really but, – but sincere. You don't want to – like, I can see through somebody right away that's not. Like, if it's all – this fake you don't want to be fake you want to be down to earth and you want to be real and uh there's nothing worse than uh someone that's you know like that I, I don't want to be around someone like that um so you just want to be honest an honest sincere person um and and and, and just talk to people about them about them ask them questions it's this this world right now, everyone is so into themselves. You know, they're taking pictures of themselves. It's a very narcissistic kind of, you know, 
I'd be embarrassed if I had some of these, these Instagrams, you know, that are all me. I mean, it's like, I, I, oh. and, and I tell my kids this, I don't want that either for them because it doesn't look good. I mean, I know everyone is doing it, but I don't know. It still seems a bit weird. So if you just follow just your natural, just, just think about why are we here? What, what is our natural environment? You know, is our natural environment being in a huge city where you can't see any trees? I mean, start thinking about what, as a human, what is our habitat? Well, our habitat is really being outside in the green, being with the animals. Being, I mean, I feel that's a really important thing to do, is, is being in, 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 in contact with just nature, okay? Uh, then just, you know, talking to people, finding, you know, asking questions about them. Take it off of you and put it on other people. People want to talk about themselves, you know. So uh, th these are very simple things that you can do and you can practice anywhere, you know. Just you want to be, you, you, you want to have the questions. The questions, the good questions are the best thing. It's better than the answers, you know, and don't always think that you have all the answers. You know, no one wants to be around a know-it-all either. So I'm a different generation than you. I'm a different, gen you know, I'm probably the generation of your parents. But, you know, that's another thing. And when you're older, don't become, don't stay the same way you are. Learn from the younger people, you know. Don't have a closed mindset. I think that's a really important thing is have an open mindset. Experiment. Try new things. Don't be afraid. Um, just put yourself out there. Sometimes it's hard for people. They're not extroverts. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm an extrovert, you know. I like people. I like, but maybe it was some, a skill that I had to learn. Maybe I wasn't like that in the beginning. But being in, behind a chair for 25 years and dealing with uh, clients, I had to be that way. Um, so I, I don't know if there's one book you know, of course, my husband's books are great, and that's how I met him. The Choose Yourself was the one that I read that I thought was amazing, um, and that's how I met him. I had a, I, I read his book, and then he was at a, uh, a meetup for investing, and I, I was like, oh my God, I want to meet him because I read this book, and that was very a great book for me, one of my favorite books, and uh, so. I just I think it's pretty basic, and it's just sort of taking a step back, and and maybe getting off the grid for a little while because I'm telling you, social media just really messes with you uh, so much, and I think it takes away from really learning your own, uh, knowing what your own gait is, what your own pace, and what your own instincts are, because you you want to be like everyone else. And you shouldn't. You should really be yourself. So I don't know if that yeah, answers anything. <laughs> no, that was perfect. But that's exactly that's exactly no, that's exactly what I wanted. Thank you. And the as you said, your uh James's your husband's books, Choose Yourself, uh Skip the Line. I've read uh, both of mm, them. Yeah. I've read more more than that of his books multiple times. Yeah. And they're 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 awesome. They're great. And yeah. um it's 
a lot of the reason why uh, Hannah and I do what we do is following the advice in mm -hmm. those books. So yeah, we definitely can't um, recommend those enough. And right. the la last, Robin, where do I send people to learn more about you, about what it is that you're doing, some different projects that you're that you're working on? I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> I mean, sure, no worries. I, I mean, I'm. Um... You know, we have Notepad, which I do have a presence on that. It's at N-O-T-E-P-D.com. And I do share some of my ideas on that. That's something that we're doing, which I like. Um, so, you know, once I do do something, I'll probably put it on Notepad. Uh, if I do uh, a podcast or if I do something like that, um, It'll probably go on there. I'll, I'll announce it on there. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And if you ever, if and when you do start your podcast, if um, when you want to promote it, please, if you'd like, please come back on oh, and let's you. talk about it. Yeah, that'd yeah. be fun. And you know, one other thing, you know, when you were asking me about about what, you know, a good thing to have when you start out, one thing that I think is super important and something also to treat, teach your kids is having a good moral compass, I think that is super important because, you know, that follows you through your whole life. And um, if you don't, it will definitely come back and bite you. So if you continue, that's the one thing you want to be consistent of. And that, that goes through everything in your life. Like, if you are, for instance, like at the oil company that my late husband worked for, if there was anything, like when we were in China, there were some families that were broken up because, you know, the one of the husbands cheated on his wife, okay? And they were not, they, and it, it really, it's a close-knit group. When you, when you go from one country to the next, you kind of stay within your group. And it really created a lot of, fear and problems for families and so they have a policy that that's unacceptable and they send the family back to the states uh, they can't fire them but they put them in a different area uh, but they figure you know look if you have a character flaw there with cheat cheating on your wife or your husband then you 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 will cheat possibly with us. So it's, it's like a, a, a bad fault, you know, like sometimes that fault goes through a whole person's life in every aspect of their life. Okay. So I also use that as a, if I see somebody that's doing something, it may be, oh, it's just this. No, I, I, I see, okay, if they're doing it there, I wonder where else are they doing it, right? So I don't trust that person. So that's a very important thing to, to have. And that's also something that is in my arsenal in terms of my instincts is when somebody does something like that, I think, okay, there's a red flag there, you know, but that protects me. I, you know, it's funny. I think you'd save the best for last there for the, with the moral compass because kind of for myself, the, it, like, like we kind of talked about in my... 20s early 20s mm -hmm. especially i was very like talking about morality i was very like uh envious i was very um 
selfish mm-hmm. and it, and the way that that always came through was I would look at other people and like one of my buddies would get a good job, like a great job. And I'd be like, man, I'm smarter than that guy. I've did, I've done yeah. harder work than like, mm-hmm. I, I've worked harder than that guy. Like that guy is an idiot. Mm-hmm. How did that guy get that job? Mm-hmm. Right. And I would literally, I would always tell myself these stories and I would always say it, not only tell myself, but I would tell other people these things. Yeah. And w- later, you know, it wasn't until later that I, I completely shifted my mindset or my moral compass to not be envious of people and mm-hmm. to instead be happy for people. Mm-hmm. And so now when my buddy gets a good job or, you know, somebody succeeds in life, even if they are direct competition to what I do, yeah. even if we were going for the same job, I'm just, I just look at them and I say, and I genuinely feel it inside. And I say, yeah, awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Like, I am so happy for you. And learn and what they've done. What what was it? Yeah. What character did did they have? I mean, you could always learn from these people too. Maybe the, maybe he was, you know, a little more gregarious or you know, likable. I mean, it's weird. People people like you for we're all mammals, right? So sometime even I know this is going to sound weird, but even maybe somebody's and you don't know their smell. Everyone has their own smell, but sometimes you don't smell it, but your, your mind, you do, your body knows. And sometimes you wonder why, I wonder why I don't like that person, but there's a reason and you've got to follow that feeling. Do you know what I mean? Like when, when you meet somebody and you're like, "Mm, I don't know, you just can't put your finger on it, but you've got to trust your gut. There's a reason why, you know, so so I don't know. It's it's very interesting. And I, I, I think studying, you know, the way humans interact, I think that's very interesting, you know, in psychology and all of that. I, I never studied it. I mean, I guess bits and pieces of it. But um, it, it's very interesting. But it's really being in tune with yourself and, 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 and what you're experiencing. And you really had to sometimes be very still and very quiet. And I guess maybe meditation can help you that, but it's like when there's something that doesn't feel good and I don't, I got to really sit down and think, why do I feel this way? And I have to really go inside and think, why am I feeling like this? So it's really important to listen to these little things because it will really protect you very much. Safety and uh, professionally. Yeah, absolutely. And once again, uh, Robin Altucher, thank you so much for coming on, on the Degree Free Podcast. Yeah, this, this is was fun. awesome. I had a great time. I hope you Me had a great too. time too. I did. Yeah, anytime. I'm available. I'm here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely. And like I said, when whenever whenever it is that you want to come on, okay. Whenever you start your the Robin Altucher show, yeah. Just uh, <laughs> I will let you know uh, for sure. But this was yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, awesome. Uh, once again, thank you so much, okay, Robin. Okay, thank you. Bye bye. I hope you guys got as much value out of that episode as I did. I really love at the end how we started talking about moral compasses and we saved the best for last there. A few things before you head out. If you guys haven't already, please consider leaving a review or sharing this podcast with somebody. That would be extremely helpful. It helps to get our message out there and help more people. 
Also, if you guys haven't already, please sign up for our newsletter, degreefree.co slash newsletter. You'll get a weekly email with degree-free tips, tricks to get you hired and get you the work that you want. And then also degree-free news, everything degree-free. All right, until next time, guys. Allah.